This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Hello and welcome to Dojo Live this Tuesday, May 30th, 2023 for our first show this week. It's going to be a great show as we dive into biologic therapeutics in the AIML era. But before we do that, we'd really like to get to know our guest a bit better. Talking with us today is Eddie Muller, who is the VP of Data Science at Juvena Therapeutics. Eddie, thank you for joining us. Hey, yeah, thank you for having me. I'm uh, really excited to be here. Thank you, thank you. It's going to be fun. So as we kick it off, we'd like to know your story a bit, Eddie, kind of What's your passion? What, what did you do to become this VP of data science? Why data science? And of course, how that led up to Jupina. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I've always been interested, I was always interested in, in science and uh, in technology both. Uh, you know, through my undergraduate and graduate school, I, I studied and majored in chemistry, uh, but was focused, always drawn to that computational side. Uh, and the data analysis side. And so that kind of that skill set and that interest is what really led for, to me to go from uh, what was, you know, more quantitative physical science way back in the day uh, into the biology and life science applications. Um, I like to say where when the data got too big for the biologist to analyze in Excel, that's that's kind of where I would come in uh, and found my sweet spot, if you like. Uh, and then worked over the years through, uh, you know, uh, pharmaceutical R&D and discovery, um, diagnostics dis development and discovery for medical diagnostics. Um, and, uh, you know, just the explosion and capabilities uh, through cloud technology and, of course, AI and ML, like everyone's talking about. Uh, those, those, that explosion has really just kind of accelerated, uh, you know, what we can do, I think, in, well, I, I know, in, uh, in discovering new biological uh, uh, phenomena and using that to develop uh, uh, new therapeutics for all kinds of you know, rare progressive diseases, aging-related diseases to keep people healthy. Uh, and so those applications are kind of what has drives me in terms of the day daily, you know, you're doing something good for the world, you're getting to use some of the coolest new technologies uh, and experiment with them I love it. and then really move things forward. It's like the best of both worlds. I mean, we get to see a lot of different tech applied here on Doja Live, which is super fantastic. Um, but I really personally get to enjoy the ones the most that seem to have a very meaningful direct impact on the quality right of people's lives and specifically in the health yeah. sphere i think it's super exciting so let's talk and dive in real quick to juvena juvena therapeutics what is it exactly that you're doing in the problem or problems that you're solving mm -hmm. yeah i've been with juvena uh, almost a year at this point um it's an early stage you know biopharma startup company we closed a series a funding round last year uh, which, yeah, yeah, just in time, uh, which sets us up for a really good path for the next couple of years, uh, you know, which is focused on uh, taking uh, what are fairly new discoveries and understandings in stem cell biology and how, uh, you know, tissues develop and heal and grow, and then uh, leverage that to uh, identify and, and develop new therapies, new treatments, 
based on you know protein and other biologics as they're called uh, that are already naturally many of them naturally secreted by the body but maybe as you get older they're you know not enough uh, insulin is kind of a classic example human growth hormone these these same kind of things there's many other factors like that in the in our bodies that, that do important things that people are you know really were just starting to discover and that coupled with the ability to gather to just generate large amounts of, of data in biology, the genomics, the proteomics, uh, you know, the organism level population studies, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, that kind of thing. That kind of data altogether gives us the opportunity now to, to look for patterns and look for associations uh, and insights, um, you know, aided by AI and, and machine learning. That's fantastic, which I think leads us really well into the question or that we're hoping to kind of answer on today's show. Yes, the question is, how can AI and machine learning accelerate the discovery of new biomedical insights with high therapeutic application potential? Please share with us the answer. Sure, Mecca. thanks. Um, uh, you know, there's, it seems to me there's a, a variety of ways and angles that, you know, uh, that AI and ML applications are, are able to and are accelerating uh, our discovery of new therapeutics. Um, that includes from uh, areas of looking at, you know, these complex uh, literature full of network interactions and, and associations between proteins and diseases and things like that. Uh, uh, but also at the level of automating uh, uh, much of what we do in the discovery and verification validation part of the drug discovery process. Uh, so automation at a fairly sophisticated level, um, you know, now it's become fairly routine to, you know, do fairly uh, impressive microscopy based image analysis in an automated way to extract, you know, all the cells in an, in an image from a microscope. Uh, all the parts of the cells and the genes and proteins that are, you know, expressed or, or present there uh, and where they are in relative to each other and relative to diseased cells and diseased tissues, all that kind of information, right? Um, That's, that kind of blows my mind. I mean, one of the, you'll find if you watch Dojo Live that I, uh, I always have movie references. I don't know what mm -hmm. that says about me as a person. <laughs> It helps a lot for me. It depends on how obscure they are. Yeah, no, well, this one I think is pretty mainstream. It's called Contagion. Um, and it's funny because, I mean, we think even if we go back all the way, you know, decades ago with movies like Alien has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. But you see these computer graphic representations of this technology and like they're pulling yeah. up all this information very fast. And, um, you know, I one of the, the scenes that comes to my mind in Contagion is they're talking about, oh, it's like a pig and a bat and they come together and they're looking at this like molecular structure of this virus or something. So like mm -hmm. that's real now these days. Like this Hollywood has, or we've caught up rather. I don't know who's caught up to who, but on some those of that, are the types yeah. of imaging you're able to accomplish. You know, yeah, and well, and uh, yeah, at that level for sure. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of advances in that. Um, uh, the Alpha Fold, Alpha Fold Two, or the to kind of come to most people's mind. They've been looking at that. Uh, ways for machine learning AI to, you know, predict these protein structures. But, and that's, that actually is a part of also one of the ways that it's accelerating. So uh, uh, when you get to the point of, let's say you have a protein or a, a, a peptide 
that looks like it's, you know, promising as a treatment for, you know, regrowing muscle or, or regenerating, you know, lung functional lung tissue. Um, uh, when you're trying to engineer that, you, you want to change that structure to do things uh, more of what you want it to do and less of what you don't want it to do. It's a normal part of drug discovery, but in the case of proteins, it's, it's, it's especially complicated. Um, and AIML now gives you these, these tools, gives you the ability to uh, predict, like if I change the sequence of this protein, how will that affect how it interacts with other proteins? And, you know, so that sort of thing is now is pretty real. It's obviously an active area of investigation, like how well does it work and where does it work, you know, all that kind of stuff. But it really does work uh, it, it, to some extent. The, the thing I was describing too, the other kind of automation was more of, um, you know, you're running experiments and there's hundreds of these little experiments and wells, you're growing cells and treating them with things to see what happens and automatically reading those, you know, visually reading those images, counting the cells, looking how big they are, if they're changing shape, all the different kinds of things you want to know. Uh, that now, rather than having a person manually curate and count, you know, and maybe make a little grid and sample it statistically, now you can just train, you know, I mean, the microscopes come with the software to do this now, right? A lot of it. So it just reads and tells you, oh, how many cells, what you know, shape, size, all these different things you want to know, colors. Um, and, and so it can just do that automatically. Right. And, wow. uh, so now you generate a lot of data that way. Um, and, and it, it accelerates and makes more consistent, uh, uh essentially that process, right. That so discovery process. how much information yeah. is there left about our bodies that we don't know oh. with this, oh, so with much. this technology? Okay. Is it? It's a good, good, very good question, and and it is so much because um, you know juvenile therapeutics we focus on uh, secretomes. So these are the proteins and factors that cells make and secrete out into the body, either into the blood or into the tissues that tell other cells what to do, right? Uh, or or in some way control what's happening. Um, and you know a good, I mean, a, a good number one is how many proteins are actually secreted is not even. 100% clearly known out of, you know, everything we know about the genome and proteome and so on. Um, when you say how many, you're not talking yeah. about the quantity of a specific one. You're talking about how many proteins we actually different kinds. have. Yeah, wow. how many different kinds of proteins. Exactly. Right. Right. And the different forms of them. And then, and so, you know, there's these numbers that depend on how you count it, but you could say that, you know, over half of the secreted proteins have that are known to be secreted proteins uh, don't have well-defined function. Like we don't really know what they do or all the it important things they do. It must do something because it's there, but we don't know. Right, <laughs> right. And the strategy that one of the things that attracted me to Juvena in the first place was kind of the, the cleverness of the strategy of taking, you know, stem cell biology and this, the things that these very important, rare, fairly rare kinds of cells are secreting and, and looking at those because they're doing something important, right? And figuring out what those things are that they're, they're secreting that are important is kind of what, is, you know, what, we're, what we're focused on. Uh, and it's just a very open area, surprisingly, mm -hmm. right? Let, let's take this back a bit to the numbers side. I mean, we're mentioning, this isn't genetics therapy. We're not talking about the human genome and things, but just proteins. Earlier in the show, you mentioned you come in with the data, the analytics, where the biologist kind of has to stop, right? Humanly possible. So right. what does this look like in terms of 
let's say if if we were people without this technology the numbers that we'd be up against and basically the impossibility of it all versus what we're actually capable of by taking advantage of AI and machine learning. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, just the, in a way, the slightly more mundane example I was just going through of the automating the image analysis from these microscopy experiments. Um, I mean, that's at a rate that uh, that that that's at a rate that you would have to employ, you know, many many people to sit and tediously do. You know, it's doable, and people used to do it in a sort of, you know, in a way that reduced the scope enough that they they that it was tractable. But now you don't even have to do that. You know, you can just uh, crank through all of it in an automated way. So that's huge. But then the insights. Um, on on the the more of the insights on the biology that's going on, like what is happening, you know. Uh, so the fact that we have um, proteomics technologies where we can, you know, really measure the identity and to some extent the the concentration, like how much of you know ten ten thousand proteins or so, um, and you know out of maybe twenty thousand genes in the in the estimated human body, but each of those proteins have different forms and so on. So depending on how you count it, there's hundreds of thousands of different types of proteins in our body, right? And you just can't, um, it's just not feasible to examine all of those on a one by one basis and understand what they're doing because it's all so, you know, interconnected and, uh, and, and nonlinear, right? Uh, and so that's where I think the, one of the areas where these capability of, uh, you know, predictive modeling and, and artificial intelligence in it, identifying what are the key, what are the key factors or drivers, right, that we aren't seeing yet out of this universe of hundreds of thousands of potential protein forms and all the different, you know, kinds of cells and tissues in the body, right, and how they respond mm-hmm. and what they do. Um, so all of that is so complex that it just, you know, it's crying for for these kind of tools to to help. Uh, In the, the to second, help sorry, America, yeah. um, I would just have one quick question about these numbers. Is this get amplified? Are you limited at Juvena right now to just human proteins, or are you also looking into existing proteins from other animals? I mean, let's talk about, I don't know, starfish mm. or lizards that can regenerate it, their limbs and, and stuff. Are there yeah, applications outside of humanity? It's really, it's an interesting question because in this whole field of kind of longevity or aging as related to health and disease um, and the ability to regrow limbs and stuff, right? That's very cool. You know, it's funny, the um, one thing I learned getting into into this field specifically with Juvena is, you know, the, the naked mole rat is an interesting example. You should look it up because as far as anyone can tell, they actually don't die from old age. Uh, they can actually reverse and become younger phenotype what? even. Okay, definitely times. know what I'm Googling. So anyway, after there's, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's some interesting things there, right? So what we do, though, we do focus on uh, uh, human um, uh, biology, human proteins, uh, partly because um, things that are starting out, there's a kind of the, the philosophy or concept here that or strategy, I guess, really, that things that are starting out as already endogenous secreted naturally in the body and maybe just needs to be you know modified amped up or down some right 
um, is is less likely to have other problems with you know generating immune reactions and toxicities and things like that. And so the that's, zombie apocalypse. You know, you don't want to. Yeah, right, off. right. You don't want it to like <laughs> your immune system to just you know shut down. Uh, yeah. Anyway, the, so yeah, so you know that's the the philosophy. But what we do find is it's really interesting that evolutionary conservation of some of these genes and proteins uh, across species uh, is indicative, right, that uh, often that they're important for some reason. That's why they haven't changed much or why they've changed a lot very recently, right, both ways. And, and those actually, so looking across species is informative uh, and helpful. And again, it adds to the complexity, you know, because uh, their genes aren't exactly the same and some things act differently you know, uh, but, but there's a lot of information and, and analog analogies, right, between uh, other species and human. So we definitely are using that. In terms of data, I'm curious about how do you regulate more information around the world? For example, I imagine that you have your own system at Juvena Therapeutics. It is complex. And then someone in Japan discovers that there are proteins in their, our left hand and they can do this and this. And so you need to check that information or, and, or what is the process? Yeah, there's there's a continual stream of published and you know information and and public and semi-public data and information, and so keeping up with that is kind of a challenge. That's actually another area where AI tools has has actually played a part. We don't do this directly much, but use rely on others who do, like natural like language processing and ways of extracting the relevant new information out of publications in a way that, you know, you could search and find, oh, you know, these two proteins are shown to, or, you know, or uh, there's evidence that they interact and do something important, you know, based on these papers. Just keeping up and finding that stuff is actually harder than it might seem. And so, yeah, we rely on uh, both the public indexing services and some of the commercial uh, services that do now apply, of course they have been, but uh, increasingly apply these AI tools to summarize large amounts of scientific text and publications and data. Um, is that kind of getting towards what you were asking, America? Yes. Is that, yes. Is that, okay, yeah. I, okay, I think that leads me to a really interesting question in terms of um, the technology that you use and the methods that you go about making these discoveries. I believe in my mind, it makes perfect sense that that's proprietary, right? Belongs to you, Juvena, Juvena or whoever else. But what about the discoveries themselves? Do, are those discoveries proprietary or does that belong to humanity? Uh, am I, yeah, where does, yeah. where does that come into play? Yeah, it's, it's a interesting kind of interplay you bring up, right? Between the public, uh, you might say, and private uh, efforts around, around these things. Um, the, you know, at least in the, like in the US, the National Institutes of Health and, and the various agencies, um, you know, fund a great deal of, of those kind of fundamental research, those basic discoveries. Um, and, uh, and, and that's a great boon to, to everyone, right? Um, and through the process, well, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, not a great revelation, but through um, a lot of the discoveries, uh, you know, through the process of, of patent management, right? Pat intellectual property, 
that's how they get disclosed to the world. You know, six months after you file a patent, uh, it's published and, you know, the world can see it. Um, and, and then also, um, uh, yeah. And so from there, these discoveries also, I mean, if we have a new, as a small company, when we have a new, you know, promising therapeutic, it's a new mechanism of action or a different one from the, you know, what's already been, you know, out there. Um, uh, it, it, it's to our advantage, right. To public, to let the world know what that is, uh, you know, both for our own, you know, Lenny, bring, bring, uh, bringing like scientific credibility to what we're doing, we have to show, right? Uh, we have to show those discoveries and that data uh, at some point. Um, and, you know, as these, as these uh, new discoveries come out, I mean, everyone, of course, what, the, like immuno-oncology, right? Immunotherapies is kind of one of the hot topics or most successful areas in recent decades. And, and you know, that uh, the, the targets for what they were doing for those first uh, immunotherapies, you know, that was, that became well known and, and everybody's jumped, jumped on like, holy cow, you know, this is really something. And then the whole world is then benefiting and really working on that discovery. Um, you know, the, there is a little bit of a private, right. And <laughs> aspect to it. And so intellectual property protections and so on is, is, uh, really important, but, um, but these discoveries are getting out there, I think, you know, so with AI yeah. and machine learning, we have become more faster in analyzing biomedical information. But how faster compared to 10 years ago or 20? Mm. That's a good one. I haven't thought about measuring it exactly like that, like a quantitative. But um, but in terms of, well, it, it's faster, but we're also generating data faster, too. So, um, you know, a typical... Uh, you know, sequencing run, you know, whole exome sequencing or something like that generates, you know, gigabytes of data per uh, sample per person, right? Um, and, and if you wanted to do, you know, that once a year, it's not that bad, maybe. But if you want to do, you know, once a week or hundreds a week, um, you know, you, you couldn't have generated the data that fast in the past. Uh, but you certainly couldn't have analyzed it, right? And now we're getting yeah. down to, even with those sort of most data intensive applications, um, now we're, we're getting down to like a children's hospital uh, uh, or uh, in um, San Diego, I think. They, they demonstrated like a less than 24 hour, you know, turnaround time to get like a whole genomic, you know, relevant genomic sequence of a newborn who is you know failing to to thrive they don't know what's wrong they're in the neonatal intensive care right and they can they need those answers really fast uh and in the past they would have one hypothesis might take do a test might get back a result a week or days later try something it's not working they try another one now you can do this you know send a sample within a 24 hours they get back you at least over have a, a thousand solid pinpoint of where to start looking first at least yeah uh, look at once at over a thousand different possible conditions and and pinpoint the exact one if it's within that you know that group and so that's a, that's really transformational couldn't be done without computational technologies both in the instrumentation the analysis and then the interpretation too and that's a huge part there's a whole system and kind of its own field of how do you interpret this data and interpret it quickly so that medical professionals can look at it and find what's relevant out of 
tens of thousands of possible things in a single wow. result. So we're kind of coming to the final few minutes of the show, Eddie. I'd like to bring it back to you as an individual, your story, your kind of career path. Um, forgive me, you mentioned at the beginning, you've been into this space for how many years now? Uh, over 20 years. Over 20, Between okay. pharmaceutical and medical diagnostics, yeah. So I guess R&D. that's the question of over these 20 years, what has the day in the life of a data scientist done to change? How have you seen this evolve and also maybe what does the current, what, what is it that you do on the day to day? Like, how do you spend most of your time? And maybe some tips that you can leave of the decision-making process, how you go about maneuvering yourself in this sea of large data to kind of get the best results as quick as possible. Yeah, yeah. Um, I guess, uh, like I mentioned at the beginning, uh, kind of, you know, uh, being already kind of oriented in terms of analytical uh, skills and, you know, some mathematics and statistics, uh, interest in science. Um, And one of the things that has become, you know, uh, I think apparent, increasingly apparent as this field of data science has, you know, come out of essential almost nowhere. You know, we used to call ourselves biostatistics, uh, bioinformatics, and uh, bioinformatics was fairly new at the time at one point too, right? and, and but in this growing data science field, what what really becomes important is I think n- um, not just keeping up and and being able to use sort of the current generation of tools, which every year and a half or two years is different, you know, um, but getting domain expertise in the area that your your applications are in. So if it's you know if it's biomedical, you know, or genomics. Um, you know, you're going to need to have the basics of, you know, biology, basics of what's DNA, proteins, that sort of RNA, that sort of thing. If it's in financial trading, you know, which I know less about, but I have friends who've gone into that er- sort of area, right? You got to know a lot about like, you know, uh, how different metrics and measures of the markets and how, how those work, right? Um, and And so just coming at it straight from, hey, I've got some great skills and you know, Python and natural language processing and things like that or whatever is is good. But uh, the domain, developing domain mm-hmm. expertise is really what I think differentiates, uh, a, you know, a person who's going to be really successful um, in an area uh, versus someone who, you know, can contribute. But um, you're always hampered if you're not, if you're not, a, if you don't know the terminology and don't know the things that people are mm-hmm. looking for in in what you're trying to model or predict. So that's a that, really good, really good point. Yeah. And so I know people who've come from working in the lab, you know, pipetting and stuff, really interested in data analysis, end up going on that track um, and following that and, you know, become data scientists, bioinformaticians that way. Others who come from other kinds of training or straight computer science, but just love, you know, just, I mean, the people I see that have worked the best and they, they, they're just doing their own homework. Like they just love reading about, oh, here's a whole new area, a new disease, a new, you know, some biology, something I don't know. You know, you do a lot of some reading and come up to speed on it. Uh, and it's just a continual process of that. And, and so that along with like, hey, I'm going to try out these new tools. Of course, I'm messing with chat GPT for, you know, you're doing these things like that too, right? Just naturally because you're inquisitive and you like it, right? Uh, and I think that really serves a person well. I love it. 
Is there anything that you did? Were you one of the lucky people who sort of were able to very clearly make your choice of your domain of the subject matter that you were passionate about? Or what was your journey? Yeah, it's funny because uh, I did, I guess I did make my choice, but uh, it's uh, what I ended up, you know, where I ended up was not exactly where I, where I had initially thought in the sense that, for example, biochemistry was probably one of my least interesting <laughs> subjects well, as a chemistry major, you know, um, I liked all the other, lots of the other stuff. And that was like, oh, that, you want to watch know. things explode and change. Colors. And <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah, thermodynamics and statistical. Anyway, quantum mechanics stuff, very cool stuff. But um, uh, uh, yeah, that that just kind of um, uh, carried when, when I ended up working on, you know, developing diagnostic assays and tools for biology and identifying genes and proteins and, that are important, things like that. Um, yeah, I didn't have that in mind in my early training. And here I am like working with people trying to make this biochemical assay work as well as it can, you know? <laughs> it's really cool. What's yeah. one of your most favorite discoveries um, in terms of biologic therapeutics or uh, that you've helped make, favorite what do you I've feel helped. is, or if you don't have a favorite, yeah. two, three, yeah. like, what are the ones like this was phenomenal. This was exciting. And this is what we've, we humanity have been able to achieve because of it. Yeah. I, I guess uh, most, more, most recently um, I was at quest diagnostics, uh, which is, you know, the largest clinical testing lab in a company. Everybody's been poked by quest at one time or another. Right. Um, and there, you know, um, I helped uh, scale a team and, and uh, that we were able to deliver, you know, dozens of new, it, what was called advanced diagnostic tests every year, uh, develop and, and launch new tests based on these genomics technologies. So uh, it covered a wide range of therapeutic areas, but, uh, you know, folks in, um, so patients in, you know, neurology now can get these you know, widely available tests that help their physicians and them choose, you know, what kind of medications may or may not be right for them or what kind of therapeutic paths, uh, cardiovascular disease, um, some oncology, of course, too. Uh, everybody does oncology. And yeah, so a wide range of areas. And I think that's really cool. I mean, because that reaches people directly, you know, you, you immediately see uh, that real people are, you know, uh, benefiting from from what you've just spent, you know, months to years developing and, and getting out there and then getting it out there at scale, right? So wow. a place like Quest, you make it available to the whole country, right? Uh, uh, kind of in one shot often. That's amazing. And that's pretty cool. This yeah. is a, a kind of silly question, but when you, maybe it's silly, when you say test, are we talking about like a physical, you know, like the chemical side the process, or is it the test of we have, the sample and now we're running it through computer programming like what's the test you're oh, referring yeah, to yeah sure so in this case yeah it's all those things so the test is a person you know your doctor writes like hey well, you should you know we should get these diagnostic tests done based on your visit and you either can write there or you make an appointment to go and maybe have blood drawn or or cheek swab or whatever the the sample is but it's a it's just like think of a regular blood test like cholesterol it's like that, except it's behind the scenes. It's way more complex, right? What's going on? Um, there's a huge amount of, you know, data being generated, potentially like genomic and other kinds of data. 
that's then being processed and analyzed according to these validated algorithms that we had to develop and prove work under you know met regulatory um, you know re uh, uh, requirements and. And uh, then that goes back to the patient and the physician, uh, along with not unimportantly, the information and context they need to understand their test result, right? So that's, that's the test, you know, uh, when yeah. I say that, yeah. It's the computer. <laughs> You're it, telling it what to it's, do. <laughs> it's, well, it's, yeah, it's, it's taking a, yeah, measuring something about a uh -huh. patient and getting it back to the right people, them and their doctor, and so, uh, with, so that they're sure they can be sure that it's accurate and, mm -hmm. and that they're interpreting it correctly. Right. I love yeah. It. Not a small thing. It sounds like not a, a small regular thing. thing, but it's not a small thing. No, I mean, yeah. if you're talking, well, this wasn't so, you, but we're talking about millions probably of different data points. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It can be. Right. Exactly. Crazy. Exactly. Well, thank you so much, yeah. Eddie, for your time today, your knowledge today, what you and your team are doing and accomplishing at Juvena. Um, it's definitely not a small feat. Um, and that's all I can say. Thank you. It's been a, our pleasure to learn from you here on Dojo Live. Thanks. Yeah, I've enjoyed it very much. Thanks for having me, thank Cam you. America. And uh, thank you. Uh, thanks very much. Okay. You're welcome. Stick around for just a minute as we go off air. But before we do, we'd like to remind our viewers of what we've got coming up for tomorrow. Yay! Tomorrow we're going to have another show with Roy Gansarski, CEO of the company Elithion. The topic is going to be about digital world, Web3. Let's not forget we still live in the physical world. How can optical AI tech improve security and trust while linking the digital and physical worlds without harming physical asset integrity. Okay, I need to do yeah. research for that. Yeah, I think it's all about pictures and blockchain and AI analysis, and it's gonna be really, really, really interesting. All right, so let's check it out tomorrow, 10 o'clock Pacific. Thank you again, Eddie, and everyone for joining us here on Dojo Live. Bye for now. Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website dojo.nearsoft.com.